The astronomers are telling us that we had a near miss yesterday. Did you all read about it? An asteroid. Some think it was 1.6 miles wide, traveling at 40,000 miles an hour. Came near Earth, they say. By near, they mean 15 million miles away. All right? But in astronomical terms, that's pretty close. So they were saying about what would have happened if we'd been hit by this asteroid. And if it hit in a certain place on the planet, they estimate that 1.5 billion people would have died. It's like millions of tons of TNT. But one astronomer said if it hit in the sea, probably no effect at all on the earth. I got to thinking about the effect on this planet of the encounter God had with Abraham. Do you know how many people would call Abraham a spiritual descendant of theirs? Right now on planet Earth, there are 3.8 billion people whose sociologists group in the Abrahamic faiths, distinguished by monotheism, which we will read about in just a moment. 54% of the world's population have some view of Abraham in their spiritual ancestry. I want you to think about that as the Apostle Paul draws on the covenant God made with Abraham to further help us understand how grace is the way God saves us. It is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. It's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. He has said this repeatedly already in the first two and a half chapters. But here in chapter 3, verse 15, he wants to take a new tack and a new look at this truth about grace. So, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to start reading with verse 15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer dependent on the promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. 
For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Brothers and sisters, he said. In the Greek, it's brothers, by implication including sisters, as the NIV translates it. Brothers and sisters, it's an affectionate term. It's a familial term. It's a term the apostle uses to describe the covenant community, people of faith, people who believe in Jesus, not Jews. Now, speaking brothers and sisters, he is speaking to Jews and Gentiles together who have trusted Jesus as Savior. Paul could have abandoned the Galatians. They questioned whether he was really an apostle. They said difficult and mean things about him. Some of those things surface in his response in this letter. But still he calls them brothers and sisters because he loves them. And he knows that the community of faith is stronger than the disagreements we may have. That even though there are things that test the fabric of the community, we are brothers and sisters in Christ We are family together. We do this deliberately. We do this on purpose. We seek to love one another as brothers and sisters in the body. We seek to function as family, caring for one another, holding each other up, praying for each other, doing what needs to be done. I'm so grateful for this family of faith that does this so faithfully day after day and week after week. And I hear about it all the time not just from the Gibsons, but from many, many people in the body who experience in the small group, in the connections with brothers and sisters, this real family that is the church of Jesus Christ, the body of believers. We are a covenant people. And the covenant has been locked down. That's what the apostle was saying. The covenant has been locked down. You say, an example from everyday life, he loses me. Okay? He says, let me give you an example of everyday life. And he starts talking. You think, wait, 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 wait. It's simple, okay? The example from everyday life is a contract. It's like many years ago when I said to my bride, then Janet Hamilton, do you promise to love, honor, and keep her in sickness and health, poverty and wealth, forsaking all others, keep the only unto her so long as you both shall live? And I said, I do. And she said, I do. And then we signed the marriage covenant. We put our signatures on it. So it is duly established, just like he says. Now, nobody can come in these years later and say, hey, I want to change the covenant that you all made. We're going to tweak it a little bit. You can't set aside the covenant or add to the covenant as an outsider. It has been sealed. You remember when we read in Revelation about the seven-sealed book and all heaven was weeping because there was no one found worthy to break those seals and open that scroll? 
And you remember how they said, no, wait, don't weep. The lamb is worthy to open the seals and to see what is in the book. And there was one who had the credentials to open that sealed book. Paul is using this idea of contract or covenant to say that God established a covenant with Abraham. It was a covenant of promise. I want to read it for you, okay? Maybe it's been a while since you visited it. When I read this, I suspect that many Jews, especially Paul and rabbis, knew these words by heart. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the promise God made. You'll notice God is making this covenant. It's almost like a one-sided covenant. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Later on, he says to Abraham, I will be with you. I am your very great reward. It was this personal relationship between Abram and his God. The covenant says, I am your God and you are mine and I will take care of you. It is a covenant of promise. Sealed, signed, and delivered by God himself unto Abraham. And it struck like a meteor on this planet thousands of years ago. And it changed the way the planet lives. The shock waves of this covenant and this encounter Abraham had with God. We experience even in this room today far-reaching implications for a covenant that was signed, sealed, and delivered with Abraham in the wilderness 430 years before the law was even given. If you are one of those who says, no, salvation comes through the law, you keep the rules, and that's how you get God to like you. That's how you get into heaven, if you keep the rules. I want to tell you, the rules weren't even delivered till 430 years after God had sealed the covenant with Abraham. And it was a covenant of promise. And Paul says that the law could not set aside or add to the covenant God made with Abraham. You've got to get this. Because grace changes everything. And grace is the key. It's the key in your life. It's the key for today. It's the key in your relationship with your child and that sister who is difficult and that parent and that neighbor and that employee. Everything in your life is changed by grace. And it starts right here. It is a meteor striking your world. Because it's not just about how you relate to God. It's about how you relate to others. How you operate in this world. Grace is God's mighty word to us. It is by grace that he initiates this covenant with Abraham. Abraham wasn't looking for God. God was looking for Abraham. And for many of us, that's the story of our life. We ran 
until we were exhausted and God ran us down from behind and captured us. And we look back on our salvation and we realize how little we had to do with it. It was God pursuing us, the hound of heaven, wanting us in the family, wanting us in his presence, as with Abraham, meeting us and saying, I want to be your God and I will bless you and I will keep you and I will be your very great reward. More than anything else, you need God. When life has made a bitter turn and difficulties have entered in that you never imagined, what do you need? You need God. You need to know He's present with you, that He cares about, that He's walking this road with you. And that's the covenant He makes. The covenant people has been locked down. It is by grace through faith that we enter into the covenant. Abraham believed God and that was counted to him as righteousness. Do you believe that Jesus was a son of God, that he died on the cross for your sin? Do you believe that he rose again the third day? This faith which you have in Christ is the avenue by which you are saved. For the covenant has been locked down and Jesus has been locked in. You say, well, how can that be? Paul is making this statement, okay? He's gone back to the old text. He's looked at it again. And he sees that the word seed is always in the singular. I look back to see how many times God said to Abraham, it was through your seed that I'm going to bring the blessing. And it was numerous times in the Old Covenant where God said this very thing that Paul quotes here. And Paul makes the point, it's not plural, as in many people, but it's singular, as in one person, he says, who is Christ. Now, Christ is his title. He is Christ Jesus. And Christ is a title. Jesus is the name the angel said to Mary, you are to call him. You are to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So his name was Jesus. And Christ was his title. Paul leaves no doubt that he believes this is Jesus who is the Christ. In fact, in the text at the last verse, he calls him Jesus Christ, both his personal name and his title. Now, what does Christ mean? Christ is the promised one. That's the title. He is the promised one. Promised to whom? Promised to Abraham. I tried to think what would happen in the mind of Saul of Tarsus for him to move from the rabbinic study that he was in as a Pharisee to the point where he believed that Jesus crucified and risen again was the seed that was promised. And it is 
a leap of incalculable dimensions. He has made a shift in his thinking that is just, it's a 180 turn. So many things have changed when Paul realized that Jesus is the seed that Abraham was promised, and it is through Jesus Christ that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. The Jews were expecting, most of them, a militaristic Messiah who would deliver them from the dominion of Rome, from the heel of Rome, and lead them out in military conquest and victory and free Jerusalem, the holy city, from those filthy Romans. That's how they anticipated the Messiah, so many of them. And probably Paul, too. That's why Peter objected when Jesus said he was going to suffer and die. Peter said, stop talking like that. You're never going to rally the troops talking like that. That's what was in his mind. I think it's probably why Judas walked out on Jesus. What? Die on a cross? What, what is going on here? I suspect Judas couldn't get that in his brain. They expected some other kind of Messiah. And now you have Jesus, the promised one, who dies on a cross for our sins and is not captured by a single people group in the Middle East, but becomes the way that God blesses all the peoples of the earth. God had this plan in mind from the very beginning. Before he ever encountered Abraham, he knew what he was going to do. Before he ever sent the law, he knew what he was going to do. He was going to send his one and only son. The scripture says, in fact, that he was crucified from the foundation of the earth. Think of God's plan unfolding here. What a monumental thing God did as he encountered Abraham, swept him into this covenant, brought along the covenant people, culminating all of this in his promised one, Jesus. And we are the heirs of this wonderful promise and this great truth. The covenant has been locked down. Jesus has been locked in. He's not one of the many alternatives. It's not him and a number of other ways that you can get to heaven. We don't get to pick. Jesus is God's chosen one, the one he sent. And when we believe in Jesus, we are joining in the affirmation of the covenant God has made. It's up to him. He decides how he will bring people unto himself. And he chose to do it by coming to the planet, becoming flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, dying upon a cross for our sin, raised from the dead and gathering together now the covenant community that is to take the good news of his grace to every corner of the planet. But Scripture finds us locked up under the control of sin.
The covenant's locked down, and Jesus is locked in, and everything is locked up under the control of sin. You say, what in the world is that about? It is a truth that is close to our hearts because everybody in this room who knows Jesus as Savior realized at some point, I need a Savior. I am a sinner. I am broken. I need a Savior. I need somebody to forgive me. I need somebody to do something for me that I cannot do for myself. Amen? Amen. And so it is true what Christy said. The covenant community, we are people who know we are broken and know we have a need beyond ourselves. We can't lift ourselves up by our bootstraps. We need a Savior. I remember talking to an atheist once in a coffee shop setting. And he looked at me and he said, I really wish there was a Savior. He didn't come to faith in Christ, but he confessed a truth that every human heart longs for. I really wish there was a Savior. This brokenness, this moral dilemma, the fact that we are all sinners, it is universal. We experience it in the human heart. And so, we acknowledge everything is locked up under the control of sin. We can't do it ourselves. And so it is grace. It is pure grace that God sends His chosen one to deliver us. I heard a powerful story this week from a member of this community, a man who's about my age, Eleven years ago, he lost his family. He was an addict. He was in bondage to drugs and alcohol. I didn't know this story till this week. He told me. His wife left him, and, and for five years, he tried to fix what was broken in his life. He tried to liberate himself from the bondage that had a hold on him. And he said, I couldn't do it. I couldn't get free until somebody invited me to trust in Christ and prayed for me that the bondage would be broken in my life. And he said, six years ago, he got free. And it wasn't by his own discipline and self-effort. It was by the grace of God unleashed in his life. Do you know how powerful forgiveness is? How powerful God's forgiveness is to change your future behavior? How powerful the Holy Spirit can be in you to conquer what you cannot conquer on your own and by yourself? Do you know how badly you need this grace, this power that God gives every day? Do you know you can be free from the burden of sin? That God has made a way for you? A college professor that came to know Christ was sharing with me just after he trusted Christ as Savior. And he said, I feel like I lived in this cage for years and years. And the devil was feeding me garbage through the bars. And when I found Christ, I leaned against the door and I found that it was open. 
hey, you don't have to live there. Everything is locked up under sin. Yes, you can't do it yourself. But God in his grace and his love for you and he knows your name and the number of hairs on your head, he knows you front to back, top to bottom. He knows you. He knows all your secrets. And he loves you anyway. This compelling love of God comes to you. If you haven't thought about it, here it is. This is the word. Receive it. God loves you just like you are. And he wants to liberate you from the things that have held you down, held you back, pressed your spirit down. He wants to give you freedom. And he does it by grace through faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Lord, help us live in it. Help us find the only life there is, your life, in this grace that you so freely give. God, I pray for the one who's got those shackles on today. Lord, would you deliver them? Would you open their eyes to the love you have for them, to the grace that is available, the forgiveness that you want to give? Lord, we pray that you would open the eyes of the blind and liberate the captive this very day. Through the power of Christ, who died upon the cross for our sins, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.